Well, welcome to my reading of the book of Mark. Uh, as you may already know, the Bible is not one book. It's actually 66 books put together. And the book of Mark is just one of those books. And it was written about 50 years after Jesus died uh, so that people could remember the story of Jesus. Now, I'm going to read it in the English Standard Version in English. And obviously, it was originally written in different languages, so it's been translated. So throughout this reading, I'm going to give some context and uh, chime in every now and then. But I'm not going to tell you when I'm reading the Bible or when I'm just chiming in. So if you want to read along, then you'll know the parts that are actually written down on the paper. But uh, I just want to make this a little bit entertaining for you so that uh, you can get some Bible reading done. And the very start, the first chapter is called John the Baptist Prepares the Way. And uh, John was basically Jesus's cousin. And John was called to announce to the people of Israel that Jesus, the Messiah, was coming. They'd been waiting for Jesus for 400 years. And it was John's job to let the people know, hey, he's coming. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Isaiah the prophet wrote, Behold, I will send a messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. And Isaiah in the end was talking about John the Baptist who appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He certainly sounds like an interesting guy. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he, the Messiah, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And John was talking about Jesus, the Messiah or Savior. And when Jesus turned about 30 years old, he came from where he grew up in Nazareth and was baptized by John in the River Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being opened and the spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And anyone there would have known that this man who just got baptized, Jesus, was the Messiah or the Savior who John had proclaimed. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals and angels ministered to him. So basically at the start of Jesus' journey, he had to go into the wilderness where he was tempted and where it was scary. And that's the start of Jesus' journey. But when Jesus begins his ministry... John, who was just doing what he was called to do, was arrested because a lot of people didn't like what he was doing. And after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God 
saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Repent meaning to turn around. So Jesus is telling them, hey, turn around, change your ways, uh, turn from darkness and turn toward light. Repent and believe that good has come. And Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. Now, I've been to the Sea of Galilee. It's actually so beautiful. I wish I could go back there tomorrow. Like, it's, it's amazing. It's a, it's a beautiful place. And Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. <laughs> so they were casting nets into the sea because it was their job to cast nets into the sea. They were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and you will become fishers of men. Some nice wordplay there by Jesus. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed Jesus. And all these men went into a nearby town called Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, or the, the day of Jewish church, he entered the synagogue, or, or, or a Jewish church, and started teaching. And everyone there was astonished at Jesus' teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not like the old boring scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue, or the Jewish church, a man with a demon. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him, you demon. And the demon convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, and he, he came out of the man. And everyone was amazed. And they all questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teacher with authority? He even commands demons and they obey him. And at once his fame spread throughout all the region of Galilee. So here Jesus is just proving that he truly is the Savior. He's the Messiah. He can even save someone from a demon. Now we don't see that much <laughs> in the Western world. But Jesus was making a point. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. And that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So here Jesus is he's healing people, the sick and the needy. And he's casting out demons. Like I said, we don't see that a lot. But in that day and age, it was a common belief that people with problems and, and hardships and, 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 and going through things could have had a day. And Jesus is, is fixing all these people. 
And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went to a desolate or lonely place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched everywhere. And when they found him alone praying, they said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And Jesus said to them, We need to go to the next town, because I need to preach there also. For that is why I have come. And so, Jesus and his disciples went throughout all the region of Galilee, preaching in their churches and casting out demons. And during their journey, a leper came to him and implored him, and kneeling to him said, If you can, will you make me clean? Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy or the, the bad skin disease left the man and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and saying, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So Jesus basically says, oh, you know, keep it quiet, but go, go back to the synagogue, you know, go back to the priest and offer, offer a cleansing, uh, offer a sacrifice, just like, you know, the Old Testament tells you to do. And that'll be a proof to the people in the synagogue that I am the Messiah. But <laughs> the man went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter any town. So Jesus basically, like this man just goes, tells everyone, I was healed, I was healed. And then everyone, like crowds are just gathering around Jesus like he's a celebrity and he, he can hardly move, he can hardly walk. It's just like always, you know, people just trying to reach him. And so uh, because he couldn't walk freely about, he just went to desolate places. But people still came out to him from everywhere. And one day he returned to this town of Capernaum and after some days it was reported that he was there. And so many began to gather again so that there was no more room, not even at the door of his house. And he was preaching the word to them. And there came bringing to him a paralyzed man by four other men. And they could not get near him because of the crowd. So basically four men are like carrying a paralyzed dude on a stretcher. And they want to bring the paralyzed dude to Jesus because, you know, Jesus heals people. But everyone's crowding around Jesus. So they can't reach Jesus. So they come up with a plan. They decided to climb the roof above him. And they cut a hole in the roof and made an opening. And they let down the stretcher with the paralytic man on it. And Jesus saw their faith. And he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes of like the Jewish pastors or teachers or priests or whatever were sitting there and they questioned in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Like only God can forgive sins. And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were questioning within themselves. And so he said out loud, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and take your bed and walk? But that you may know that I am the Son of Man, and I have authority to forgive sins. I'll say, 
your sins are forgiven. But then he turned to the paralytic and said, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he picked up his bed and went out before them all. And they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And he went out again beside the sea where I've been and it's absolutely beautiful. And all the crowd followed him and he kept teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alephus, sitting at a tax collector booth. And so like tax collectors were like Jewish traders, basically. And he said to this man, follow me. And so Levi rose and followed him. And he went back to his house, and as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners reclined with him. So many, like, many Jewish traders and, and many, you know, sinners, people who were sinning, were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. But the scribes, the Pharisees, the Jewish teachers, you know, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well are in no need of a doctor, but those who are sick need a doctor. I came not for the righteous, the, the, the goody two-shoes, I came for the sinners. Now John's disciples, if you remember John the Baptist, and the Pharisees were fasting. And the people came to him and said, Well, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As in, like, when you go to a wedding... You know, do you fast? Do you not eat? <laughs> and as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they can't fast because they've got a party. They're celebrating. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. You know, it's sort of like, you know, when you go to a wedding and everyone's partying and everyone's eating, but then the bride and groom leave. And then, well, guess what? No more food is left. That's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is saying, I'm the groom and one day I'm going to leave but while I'm here my disciples are going to eat the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day you see no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment if he does the patch will tear away the new from the old and the tear is actually made worse and no one puts new wine into old wineskins because if he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine will be destroyed and so will the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One day, Jesus was going through the grain fields. As they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing this? It's not lawful to pick grain on the Sabbath. Like that's a day of rest. You're not meant to work. Why are they picking any grain? And he said to them, have you not read in the Old Testament what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abithia, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence. And even though it was not lawful, but the 
anyone but the priest to eat it, and he also gave it to his friends, and he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So here we have a bunch of situations like his disciples don't fast, they're, they're picking heads of grain, and the Jewish teachers and all these people that you know are starting to get a bit annoyed with Jesus because he's stealing their thunder are going like, well, why, why are your disciples acting different to us our disciples fast our disciples don't eat or you know they don't pick grain on the sabbath your disciples are doing everything wrong why are you letting them do that and jesus essentially says because i'm the boss a new thing has come there's a new covenant starting i am god i am the messiah don't you see that and so uh, because i am god i can get my disciples to do whatever i want them to do i'm about to take all these rules you believe in and actually put them into true practice. Like like you make man-made rules and make it hard for everyone to live and you, you like tie heavy burdens on people, but I want to make people free. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the new thing and I'm doing things a new way. And I, the Son of Man, the Messiah, God, I am the Lord of everything. So stops questioning me essentially. <laughs> And so Jesus again entered a synagogue or Jewish church and there was a man with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him again. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And Jesus said to them, hmm, so is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? So basically, they were trying to trap Jesus. They were like, if Jesus heals on the Sabbath, that means Jesus is working and he's not resting, which means he's not actually living the Sabbath. And so Jesus says to them, well, what do you reckon? On the Sabbath, should I do good or do harm? Should I save a life or kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger. And Jesus was grieved. You know, Jesus felt emotions too. He was so angry. He was so grieved at the hardness of their heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man with the withered hand stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out immediately and held counsel with the Herodians against him about how they might destroy Jesus. Jesus is basically saying, look, you've got all these rules like, you know, don't work on the Sabbath. And apparently I can't heal on the Sabbath. And, but Jesus has compassion for people. He wants to heal. And so the Pharisees get angry. They want Jesus to stop doing what he's doing. And here begins the journey where, where, they, where they desire to see Jesus killed. And so they go plot with the Herodians against him about how they will destroy him. One day Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and all around Tyre and Sidon. So basically, Jesus' followers have, you know, they're coming from everywhere now. Everyone wants to see this Jesus. And when the great crowd heard all that Jesus was doing, they flocked him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd. 
lest they crush him. Jesus had so many follow people wanted to see him and like touch him and that like they would they would all cram him. It's sort of like when you see a celebrity walking around and everyone's got their phone out and everyone's pushing in and trying to, you know, that's what was happening to Jesus. And <laughs> Jesus was like, they might crush me. So get me a boat, get me a boat. For he had healed so many people so that when his disciples pressed around him, touched him, and whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make it known. It's funny, Jesus Jesus was getting these big crowds, but even then he was, he was for some reason, it seems like he was a little bit humble, wasn't he? He was like, you know, stop telling everyone about me. I'm just trying to, you know, do what, I, what I'm called to do. And so Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him, those whom he desired. So it's like he goes up on a mountain and there's big crowds. And then he says, okay, I want to pick a few of you out to come and come. He's like, I want to pick my people and I want you to come here. And they came to him and Jesus picked 12 people whom he appointed apostles. So the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, that's when that happened. Basically, Jesus is surrounded by crowds and crowds and crowds of people, but he picks his 12 guys that he's going to spend the most time with. And so he picks 12 people on the mountain so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach on his behalf and to have authority to cast out demons on his behalf. And he appointed the 12 and they were Simon, but he changed Simon's name to Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to who he gave the name Bonegas, which is a funny name. That means sons of thunder, which, you know, that's a cool meaning. There was also Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the aristocrat. Sorry, Judas Iscariot is he. He wasn't an aristocrat, <laughs> but you know, Judas. Yeah. Jesus betrayed him in the end. And he went home. And the crowd gathered again at his home so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, this Jesus is out of his mind. So basically, you know, Jesus is going around. He's trying to get around, you know, Israel and, and do good. But people are always crowding him, pressuring him. He goes home and they crowd him he goes up a mountain and they crowd him they're just following him everywhere he goes home to eat one night and he can't even eat at his table because like people are banging down the door rushing in crowding around him and his family's getting annoyed like jesus we live here too we just want to sleep stop inviting the whole town over to see you and they basically say well gee oh my goodness he's out of his mind and the scribes who kept coming down from jerusalem were saying he is possessed. Jesus is possessed by Beelzebub. And by the prince of demons, he casts out other demons. So basically, all of a sudden, you know, the Jewish, you know, leaders, scribes, Pharisees, whatever, teachers, they're, they're trying to put Jesus in a box and say, look, I don't think he's God. We think he's like possessed. And he called out to them. So Jesus called out to them and he spoke in a parable. How could Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, 
he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven by the children all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. So everyone will be forgiven. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit has no forgiveness, but is guilty of an internal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And so Jesus is basically saying, look, I've come to forgive everyone, but anyone that claims that I'm doing things because of a demon and not the Holy Spirit, well... They've committed an eternal sin. So Jesus is just like really being harsh there. And Jesus' mother and brothers came and they were standing outside the house and they sent him and called him and a crowd was sitting around him and they said, your mother and your brothers are outside and they're looking for you. And he answered the crowd, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mothers and my brothers. But whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. So you know how I said like Jesus' family were getting annoyed that, you know, so many, the crowd was full, the crowds were always following him and the house was full. Well, they, they, they were standing outside the house one day and they basically said, go tell Jesus we're looking for him. You know, he's out of his mind. And Jesus basically says, you all here, everyone that's choosing to follow me is my family. Everyone who does my will is my family not just my mum and my brothers outside. And Christians today believe that really, and that, that anyone who follows Jesus or follow his will becomes part of Jesus's family. Uh, that's what we mean when we say we're Christians. It's like we're, we're part of God's family. We're part of Jesus's family. Uh, if you're still with me, you might be thinking, geez, a lot is happening. And yeah, the book of Mark is a, a shorter gospel. It's like all the highlights of Jesus' life, and it moves very quickly. It's sort of like the action book of the Bible. It's the action story of Jesus' life, and we are up to chapter 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the sea. As I said, I've been there, and it's absolutely beautiful. And a very large crowd gathered about him. Surprise, surprise. So that he had to get in a boat, and he sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So Jesus basically got in the boat, pushed it out a couple of meters, and then everyone else sat on the, the land and listened to him. But he needed to teach from a boat because otherwise everyone would crowd him. It's sort of like he needed a stage, you know. It's like when you see singers on the stage, everyone's reaching out, but they can't touch the singer because the singer's on the stage and they're on the ground. Well, that's what Jesus sort of done. He sort of got in a boat, got a couple of meters out so they can't, like, crush him. And he started preaching in parables or stories. And in one of his teachings, he said, Listen, behold, a sower or a farmer went out to sow seed. And as he sowed the seed, some seed fell along a path and birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And so it immediately sprang up since it had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, 
let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him, the, the twelve, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for the outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus is like saying, you know, I speak in parables because the kingdom of God needs to be needs to be found like a like a nugget of gold in soil. You need to go digging. You need to go searching. So I talk about stories so that people go searching. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand any of the parables or the stories? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear the word, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves. So they endure for a while, and then, any time like bad things happen, or tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter it and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold uh, and 100-fold. What a cool parable. So basically Jesus is saying like when he comes and teaches stories and shares the word, like some people it falls on the path and, you know, they just they never even hear the word. And some like because of thorns, like the cares of the world, they just like hear the word, but then other things are too important. And some people is like, uh, get stolen by birds. It's like, you know, outside forces come and just like steal the word. But Jesus says, some are like good soil. When they hear the word, it, it buries deep in their heart and it bears fruit. And he kept teaching them. Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine, for everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And then he added, Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for them who are not listening... Even what little understanding they have will be taken away. And he still kept teaching. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground night and day. And while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. But the farmer doesn't understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First a leaf pushes through. Then the heads of wheat are formed and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. It's an interesting story. I guess uh, you've got to think about what you think that might mean. And then Jesus said, How can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. And the mustard is the smallest of all seeds. 
but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches and birds can make nests in its shade. Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. But afterwards, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. It's an interesting point. So I've told a couple of stories here that sort of don't make a lot of sense, but I encourage you, go back, open your Bible, read them for yourself and see if you can figure it out. One evening, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Oh, by the way, it's uh, I've been there. It's not like a sea, sea. It's, it's more like a lake, but they call it the Sea of Galilee. And so they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats did follow because everyone wanted to be with Jesus. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. And Jesus was just sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. But the disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why, you, my disciples, are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. (laughs) Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. So, when they arrived at the other side of the Sea of Galilee, in the region of the Gasserines, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tomb to meet him. So, so they land like on the shore of like a graveyard and this evil dude comes out of the tombs and this man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain whenever he was put into chains and shackles as he often was he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles no one was strong enough even to subdue him day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills howling and cutting himself with sharp stones And when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and ran to meet Jesus and bowed low before him. And with a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. So if you've ever watched a horror movie and there's been like, you know, you're called Legion or whatever, it's because like a Legion means a lot. And there was a lot of demons inside the man. And the demons begged Jesus again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of figs feeding feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us go into them after we leave this man. So Jesus gave them permission and the demons and the evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into a lake and drowned. Whoa, what a uh, twist there. And the herdsmen, the people who were looking after the pigs, fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news of what they saw. And people rushed to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw a man who had been possessed by the legion 
and he was just sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane and everyone that saw it was afraid because they were like whoa you know what happened here then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon possessed man and the story with the pigs and the crowd began pleading with jesus to go away and leave them alone that's interesting isn't it like sometimes when jesus does like miracles like everyone's amazed and the crowd grows and then sometimes when he does miracles people are afraid and like what who is this man this is crazy uh can you please go away and so jesus decided yeah okay i can go away but as he was getting into the boat the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him but jesus said no go home to your family and tell them everything the lord has done for you and how merciful he has been so the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed at what he told them so there's this crazy guy who lives in a graveyard and then jesus like uh heals him of his of everything he's going through and uh makes him perfectly sane and so this man wants to go with jesus but jesus says now go home and tell everyone you meet what i did for you tell everyone about my mercy Sometimes in my life, I wish I could tell everyone about the mercy Jesus has given me. And so Jesus got in the boat and went back to the original side of the Sea of Galilee, where the loud crowd gathered around him on the shore once again. Then a leader of the local synagogue or Jewish church, whose name was Jarius, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her heal her so she can live and jesus went with him and all the people followed crowding around him and a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding she had suffered a great deal from many doctors over the years and she had spent everything she had to pay for them but she had gotten no better in fact the doctors made it worse but when she heard about jesus she thought well this guy heals so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe for she thought to herself if i can just touch his robe i'll be healed immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition and jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him so he turned around in the crowd and asked who touched my robe his disciples said to him Look at the crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched you? Everyone's touching you. But he kept looking around to see who'd done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of Jesus and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And while he was still speaking a word, messengers arrived from the home of Jarius, the leader of the synagogue, and told him, your daughter died. There's no use troubling Jesus now. And so, so, you know, Jarius is taking Jesus to his daughter so that she can be healed. And on the way, Jesus stops to to see a woman who who has been healed by touching his robe. And uh, as they're stopped, some of Jesus, Jarius's friends come to him and say, look, your daughter's dead, so you can tell Jesus to go back to where he came from. 
But Jesus overheard this conversation and said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James and John, his three, three of his disciples. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing for a girl had died. And he went inside and asked, Why this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at Jesus. But he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was laying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talita Kaum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl was 12 years old. And she immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. And Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. (laughs) He just raises a little girl from the dead and he's like, get her some food. (laughs) Jesus then left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. And the next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue or the Jewish church there. And many who heard him were amazed and asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? And they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon. His sisters live right here with us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, well, I guess a prophet is honoured everywhere except his hometown (laughs) and among his relatives and his own family. It's funny, some some of Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in Jesus. It's uh, crazy. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. I love that it's like, oh, he couldn't do many. He couldn't do many miracles except heal a few people. I think that's still pretty crazy. But Jesus was just amazed at how the people of his hometown couldn't believe in him. And Jesus went from village to village, teaching the people. And he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out demons. And he told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick. They couldn't take food, no traveler's bag, no money. He just allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, Stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. And so the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. They cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Now we have a bit of a scene change. Herod Antipas, the king, had heard about Jesus because everyone was talking about him. And some were saying, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. Others said, he's Elijah the prophet. Still others said, he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. And when Herod heard about Jesus, he said, how do they think he's John the Baptist, the man who I beheaded? Oh, because, uh, yeah. When John went to prison, he was also beheaded. And this is how that happened. 
And I'm sorry about this. There's a lot of words and there's a lot of different names. So just uh, try stick with me. Uh, but this is how John the Baptist got his head chopped off. John had been telling Herod, who was the king, that it was against God's law for him to marry his brother's wife. Oh yeah, because King Herod was a freak and had married his brother's wife. Uh, a bit of a weird thing to do. And her name was Herodias, which is sort of weird because his name is Herod. Anyway, so John had been telling Herod, it's against the law for you to marry your brother's wife. But Herodias, the, the wife, uh, held a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod sort of respected John. And knowing that he was a good and holy man, Herod protected him. And Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John. But even so, he liked to listen to him. Herodias's chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. And then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in to perform a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed I will give you whatever you ask up to half my kingdom. She went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? And her mother said, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. Then the king deeply regretted what he'd said because of the vows he made in front of his guests. He couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in prison, brought his head on a tray and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. And when John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. Now, back to the story of Jesus. The disciples who had been sent out returned to Jesus from their ministry tour, and they told him all they had done and taught. And Jesus said, Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while, because they had been busy. And he said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. And so they left by boat to a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people still recognized them when they saw them leaving. And so many people from many towns ran along the shore to get ahead of them. And Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to nearby farms and villages to buy something to eat. But Jesus said, You feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Well, Jesus asked, How much bread do you have? Go and find out. They came back and reported, We have five loaves of bread and we have two fish to feed all these thousands of people. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. And Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up to heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so that they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. 
And immediately after this, Jesus decided to send his disciples across the lake to Bethsaida. So he told them to get in the boat and go. And Jesus decided that he would stay back to say goodbye to everyone and to send the people home. And once he'd said goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. And late that night, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake. And Jesus was alone on the land on a mountain looking out into the distance. And in the distance, he saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. And so at about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on water. He intended just to walk past them. But when they saw him on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once, saying, Don't be afraid. Take courage. It's me. It's Jesus. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. And they were totally amazed. For they were still getting over the fact that he fed all those thousands of people with a few loaves and a few fish. But their hearts were too hard to understand it all. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at a town, and they brought the boat to shore and climbed out. And straight away the people recognized Jesus, and they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever he was, wherever he went, in villages, cities, or the countryside. And they brought the sick out to the marketplaces, and they begged to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe. And all who touched him were healed. So Jesus, again, is just proving that he's the Messiah, proving that he's the Savior, proving that he's the one who can heal. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they've poured water over their cupped hands, as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. But it is one of the many traditions they clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So, yeah, basically the Pharisees have all these weird laws that they expect everyone to follow, and they notice Jesus's aren't following them. Sounds similar to the start of our story. And so the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. And Jesus replied, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you when he wrote, These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own traditions. Then he said, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, the laws in the Old Testament say that you should honor your mother and your father. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say that it's right for all people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I vowed to give to God what I have been given. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. 
And this is only one example among many others. So Jesus is basically saying, you guys are hypocrites because sometimes you take what God says and you twist it and you make it your own and half the time that cancels itself out. And then Jesus called to the crowd, said, come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he just used. Don't you understand either, he said. Can't you see that the food you put into your body can't defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, It is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. When Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre, he didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by a demon, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile, Jesus told her, or because she wasn't a Jew, Jesus said, First I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right for me to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. And she replied, Jesus, that's true. But even dogs under the table are allowed to eat scraps from the children's plate. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. Then Jesus left this town and went to another, and then went back to the Sea of Galilee. And a deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him. And the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man and heal him. But Jesus led the deaf man away from the crowd so that they could be alone. And he put his fingers into the man's ears. Then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Be opened. Instantly the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, Everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. We're now up to chapter 8. I've actually switched to the New Living Translation, which I'm reading off my laptop, because it's gotten awfully dark and uh, it's becoming harder and harder to read my Bible. So I'm now reading from my laptop screen from the New Living Translation. I've been doing that for a while, but uh, only the very smart ones of you would have figured that out. Chapter 8. About this time, another large crowd had gathered. Um, This is a theme of this book, that large crowds gather around Jesus. To this day, large crowds gather around Jesus. A quarter of the world are Christian. That's like over two billion people. Quite a large crowd. Anyway, about this time, another large crowd had gathered, and the people ran out of food again. And Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. 
for they've been with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. And if I send them home hungry, they're going to faint along the way because some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples replied, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? And Jesus asked them, just like you did last time, how much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they replied. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground, just like he did before. And he took the seven loaves, thanked God for them and broke them into pieces. He gave them to his disciples who distributed them to the crowd. A few small fish were also found too. So Jesus blessed these and told the disciples to distribute them. And everyone ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were about 4,000 men and their families in the crowd that day. And after they'd all eaten, Jesus sent them home. Immediately after this, Jesus got into the boat with his disciples and crossed over to another region. And when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and started to argue with him, testing him. They demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. When he heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, I will not give this generation any such sign. So he got back into the boat and left them, and he crossed to the other side of the lake. While they were on the lake, the disciples realized that they'd only packed one loaf of bread and forgotten to bring any other food. And as they were crossing, Jesus warned them, Watch out, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. And Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, Why are you arguing about having no bread? Do you not know or even understand? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? Like when I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread? How many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet, he asked them. Jesus was saying, don't you realize I can feed you? (laughs) Don't you realize I can feed you? And when they arrived and got out of their boat, some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said. I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, Don't go back into the village on your way home. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you're one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Peter replied, You are the Messiah, the Saviour. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things 
and he'll be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with holy angels. Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed. His clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what to say because he was terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves. But they often asked each other, what did Jesus mean by rising from the dead? Then they asked him, why do the teachers of the religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus responded, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. Yet why do the scriptures say that the Son of Man must suffer greatly to be treated with utter contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they chose to abuse him, just as the scriptures predicted. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about? Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by a demon that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams up at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the demon, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, 
The spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the demon. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as the people said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, Why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, This kind can be cast out only by prayer. Leaving that region, they travelled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know that he was there. For he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them, and he didn't want big crowds around. And he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. And they didn't understand what he was saying, even though Jesus was saying it clearly. However, they were still afraid to ask him what he meant. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, What were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer, because they'd been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve disciples over to him and said, Whoever wants to be first must take the last place and be the servant of everyone else. Then he put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Don't stop him, Jesus said. No one who performs a miracle in my name will be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. If anyone even gives you a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. But if you cause anyone who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than be thrown into hell with two. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where maggots never die and the fire never goes out. For everyone will be tested with fire. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. Then Jesus left Capernaum and went down into the region of Judea and into the area east of the Jordan River. Once again, crowds gathered around him, and as usual, he was teaching them. Then the Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? So Jesus answered them with the question, 
Well, what did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. But Jesus responded, He wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his mother and father and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one, since they are no longer two, but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. Later, when he was alone with his disciples in the house, they brought up the subject again. And he told them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries someone else, she commits adultery. Important to note that Jesus wasn't talking about marriages which have abuse in them. He's talking about no-fault divorce here. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering Jesus. And when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question... You know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your mother and father. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell your possessions. Give the money to the poor and you will have a treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this the man's face fell, and he went away very sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus said again, Dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you, that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and property along with persecution. <laughs> and in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. After spending much time around the Sea of Galilee, they were now on their way up to Jerusalem, the capital city. 
and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem, where the Son of Man, Jesus, me, the Messiah, will be betrayed to the leading priests and teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I had to be baptized with? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with the baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or on my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the other ten disciples heard what James and John were asking, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left the town, a crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting on the side of the road. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks what are you doing, just say the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, What are you doing untying that colt? And they said what Jesus had told them to say, that they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and Jesus sat on the donkey. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! 
Praise God in the highest heaven. Hosanna. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the twelve disciples. The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry and he noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, The scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him, but they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. The next morning, they passed by the fig tree that Jesus had previously cursed. And the disciples noticed that it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen if you have faith. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Again they entered Jerusalem. As Jesus was walking through the temple area, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came up to him, and they demanded, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right to do them? I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question, Jesus replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven, or was it merely human? Answer me. They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask why we didn't believe in John. But do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of the people and what they would do, because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, Then I won't tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Then Jesus began teaching them with stories. A man planted a vineyard. He built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up and sent him back empty-handed. The owner then sent another servant, but they insulted him and beat him over the head. The next servant he sent was also killed, and every other he sent was either beaten or killed, until there was only one left, his son whom he loved dearly. And the owner finally sent his son, thinking, surely they'll respect him. But the tenant farmers said to one another, here comes the heir to this estate, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him and murdered him and threw his body out of the vineyard. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do, Jesus asked. I'll tell you, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. 
Didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it's wonderful to see. The religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized he was telling the story about them. They were the wicked farmers. But they were afraid of the crowd. So they left him and went away. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. And you teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw right through their hypocrisy and said, Why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he asked, Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead, and they posed this question. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers, and the oldest one married then died without children, so the second brother married the widow, but he also died without children. Then the third brother married her, but he died without children. And this continued with all seven of the brothers, and still there were no children. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. But now, as to whether the dead will be raised, haven't you ever read of this in the writings of Moses, in the story of the burning bush? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he is the God of the living, not the dead. So you have made a serious error. One of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate, and he realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of the religious law replied, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all burnt offerings and the sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Later, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, he asked, Why do teachers of religious law claim that the Messiah is the son of David? For David himself, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, 
The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David himself called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? The large crowd listened to him with great delight. And Jesus also taught, Beware of these teachers of the religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces, and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. Then Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. As Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. Jesus replied, Yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across the valley from the temple. Peter, James, John and Andrew came to him privately and asked him, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? And Jesus replied, Don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world as well as famines. But this is only the first of the birth pains, with more to come. When these things begin to happen, watch out. You'll be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must first be preached to all nations. But when you are arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at that time. For it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. A brother will betray his brother to death, a father will betray his own child, and children will, will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The day is coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing where he should not be. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea, must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for the pregnant woman and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your fight will not be in winter, for there will be greater anguish in those days than at any time since God created the world. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the Lord shortens that time of calamity, not a single person will survive. But for the sake of his chosen ones, 
he has shortened those days. Then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe them. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. So watch out. I've warned you about this ahead of time. At that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in heaven will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now, learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know what and when that time will come, be on guard and stay alert. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do, and he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return. In the evening, at midnight, before dawn or at daybreak, who knows? Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone. Watch for him. It was now two days before the Passover festival of unleavened bread, and the leading priests and teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for, your, for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you and you can help them whenever you want to. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. And we're discussing it right now which is pretty crazy then judas iscariot one of the 12 disciples went to the leading priests to arrange to betray jesus they were delighted when they heard why he had come and they promised to give him money so he began looking for an opportunity to betray jesus so that's one of the 12 disciples deciding to betray jesus on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread when the passover lamb is sacrificed Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you and follow him. 
At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asked, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? And he will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything, just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating here with me will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one who will betray you? And he replied, It is indeed one of you twelve who is sitting and eating from your bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays me. It would be far greater for that man if he had never been born. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them, and they all drank. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. On the way, Jesus told them, All of you will desert me, for the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, Even if everyone deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And you will deny that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. Then they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, that the awful hour awaiting him might pass by. Abba, Father, he cried out, Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and he found the disciples that he asked to keep watch and pray asleep. And he said to them, Why are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not be given in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. And when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and teachers of religious law and the elders. 
The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him under your guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and he gave him the kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Jesus asked them, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you, teaching every day. But these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man following behind was clothed only with a linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. And so that little verse 50, 51 and 52 there is interesting because they say that is Mark, as in the guy who is writing this story. So uh, some guys watching in the, in the, in the, you know, in the bushes with a, you know, clothed in only a linen shirt and he ran away naked when they tried to grab him. Anyway, that was Mark, the guy who potentially wrote this gospel book that I'm reading to you. And back to the story. They took Jesus to the high priest's home where the leading priests, the elders and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. So many false witnesses spoke against him, but they all started to contradict each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even then, they didn't get their story straight. So the high priest stood up before the others and asked, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand, and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Why do we need another witness? You have all heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered. And the guards slapped him, as they took him away. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked him closely and said, You were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. Just then a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him again, she began telling the others, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of other bystanders confronted Peter and said, You must be one of them because you're Galilean. Peter swore, A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly, 
Jesus' words flashed through Peter's minds. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. Very early the next morning, the leading priests, the elders and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council, met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, You're the one who said it. Then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they are bringing up against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, any one the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Well, who would you like me to release? Should I release this king of the Jews, Jesus? Pilate asked, for he realized by now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. And Pilate asked them, Then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, Crucify him. Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, Crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters, and he called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe, and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, the King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick. They spit on him and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. As Jesus was carrying his cross through the town, a passerby named Simon from Cyrene was coming in from the countryside, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him, and a sign announced the charge against him. It read, The King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha! Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from that cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't even save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. At noon, darkness fell 
across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah, and one of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, This man truly was the Son of God. Some women were there, watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. This all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. And as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honoured member of the council and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. But Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead. So he called for the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead. So Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph brought a long sheet of linen cloth. He took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of a rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where Jesus' body was laid. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. But he isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples, who were grieving and weeping, and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive, they didn't believe her. Afterward, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers, who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. Still later, he even appeared to eleven disciples as they were eating together, and he rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. And then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. 
These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. And that is the end of the book of Mark.